Welcome to episode 261 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Michael. I'm Jill. And I'm Ryan. Also just off camera with us, piped in directly from our 60,000 square foot virtual stadium, stadium, aka the Jitsi Room, is our glorious community of fact-checking, ego-busting patrons. And on this week's episode of Destination Linux, we're joined by Nate Graham of KDE to talk about Plasma and all things KDE. Then we're going to discuss an exciting announcement from Prime64, plus we have our tips, tricks, software picks, all this and so much more coming up right now on Destination Linux. So in our community feedback this week, we have Sam who writes us to say, Hi, I think this video from Rob Braxman Tech discussing how big tech finds your exact location even when you're hiding it is a good wake-up call and deserves some coverage on why we need Linux smartphones. I have moved to a de-googled phone myself based on Lineage OS 18 and without G-Apps, and it impressed me a lot so far. There are very good open source options for the camera, navigation, and many more functions that are expected on a smartphone these days. It's just not what everybody else has. So I do keep a regular phone for work stuff, etc. that one hardly leaves the house and I'm trying to cut back usage even more. But frankly, it gets harder by the day because as mentioned in the video, you are now expected to have an Android or iOS device for nearly all aspects of your day-to-day -day life, work, education, banking, and probably health and mobility in the very near future. Suppose that from tomorrow you'd be expected to own a Volkswagen car or you had to have an LG television to be able to live your life, use public services, go to work, get a bank, go to school, just to be part of a society. Would we accept this in the same way? Have a great 2022 and many thanks for your efforts on DLN. Regards, Sam. I thought this was really interesting. I was actually at the movie theater yesterday and they were doing this new thing with VR, AR, I guess you would call it, where they turn the movie screen into kind of a video game background. And at the bottom, it's like, download our app. And it had just two options, right? You had Apple iStore or you had the Google Play Store. And that's it. And it kind of struck me after reading this email that anybody else can't get this app, couldn't interact with the movie screen, couldn't mm -hmm. play this. If you had kids and you gave them all uh, Lineage OS devices and you weren't using the Google Play Store in there, integrating that, they would be like, oh, dad, we can't play. Well, yes, son, because you're an open source. You got to be an open source, you know. And so you start to lose out on some of these things. Now, that's a very minor thing, right? You could live without doing the little movie theater AR game. But my point is what he's saying here is becoming more and more of a reality. There are certain apps for work, for instance, that I have to have on my phone to be able to do authentication to get into my work equipment. I can't just say, well, I'm going to be an open source enthusiast. I'm only going to use an open source phone. And as a privacy enthusiast, this is what I want to do because my work requires me to have these. So now I have to carry two devices. And that's pretty difficult to do as well. It's already hard enough to remember uh, to grab my one device. So it's a very interesting problem and one that industry has to figure out a way to overcome. We have a duopoly. I think as someone who's in the telecom world, there's some good news here. The good news is both iOS and Google devices have become unbelievably boring. 
Every update is iterative. <laughs> yep. uh, the best you can expect next year on the new iPhone is in the new Samsung devices. You're going to have a better camera and a smaller notch. There you go. And it's going to have a faster processor, fastest ever. Uh, nobody cares. The design's the same. Uh, the folding phone things is kind of just a niche that nobody really wants to get into because they're so volatile, weak, and, and can break so easily. Uh, so the the great thing, I think, honestly, is that innovation has slowed down so much in the smartphone market. And because of that, that opens it up for a new player to come in and potentially disrupt here. And so I'm looking for who that player is going to be that could come in and disrupt. But I think it's ripe. It's riper than ever for someone to come in and mm-hmm. do that. That's a great point. I mean, I, I haven't thought about the whole the fact that it's so boring makes it an open up. Like, because the people t- talked about how the market for mobile has been so dominant by these two it's really hard to get into that space but at this point it actually has become stagnant so that it could be like a revitalization of that and we're going to be covering another alternative and later in the show which i'm very excited about so another thing you could get excited about is digital ocean because this episode of destination linux is brought to you by digital ocean now's the perfect time to dive into their app platform their services help you build modern cloud native apps for way less money with that platform you could build deploy scale apps static websites faster and easier using a simple and intuitive interface it is the greatest interface out there if you've ever had the disservice of using other types of cloud services and then you Go to DigitalOcean, you're going to be like, oh my gosh, things are actually where they're supposed to be and make sense, and I have a one-click marketplace to deploy things. Simply point your app platform to GitHub, GitLab repository, let it do all the heavy lifting, whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, container images, it's all there. And by running app platform on their own infrastructure, DigitalOcean keeps your costs significantly lower than other products. Plus, it's built on top of DigitalOcean's Kubernetes, providing a smoother migration path so you could take more control of your infrastructure setup as well. And as a Destination Linux listener, this is the best part. If you're a member of the DLN community, you can get started building your world-changing app on their app platform for absolutely free. Even better than that, they're giving everyone who listens to this show $100 free credit when you sign up by going to do.co slash dln that's d-o dot c-o slash dln and then you're going to see a promotion there you're going to get a hundred dollar credit you could do a bunch of small droplets one giant droplet whatever you want but you got a hundred dollars to play with we want to thank digital ocean for sponsoring this episode of destination linux this week we are joined by nate graham nate is a contributor to kde and writer of uh, the blog adventures in linux and kde i often find myself digging through his blog to see the latest happenings in kde with his this week in kde posts so nate thanks for joining us on the show and welcome to destination linux oh you're very welcome mm-hmm. thanks for having me here uh so we've we've uh, been following the kde pro- uh, I'm, personally i've been following kde for Years. Fanboy. Year. Okay. <laughs> sure, sure. And you've been contributing to KDE for a while since 2017, but we and we certainly want to talk about that in but uh, first I want to talk about the your Linux journey in general. Like how did you first discover Linux? <laughs> That's an interesting question. Um I think my first actual exposure to Linux was in college. It was to KDE 3, in fact. I uh, met a a a classmate who had KDE 3 on his computer and I remember it looked super complicated and terrifying. 
<laughs> but that was that was Linux. That was my first exposure to it. And and later, as I started to become a little bit more technical, more into some computer science topics, I started to get interested. Uh, but I had a Mac at the time. I was still a huge Apple fanboy. So as I recall, the first Linux distro I actually tried myself was something called Yellow Dog Linux. Oh yeah, like, it was like an Ubuntu <laughs> thing that ran on PowerPC machines, which. Apple Macs were still PowerPC based at the time. Uh, and I used this and I think it had GNOME 2 on it. And I really liked it. It was cool. Uh, but I was still too much of an Apple fanboy to actually officially use it. So I, I didn't keep it. The first time I think I actually started using Linux permanently full time was in 2012. Um, at that point I was actually employed by Apple, but I was kind of starting to get a little bit disillusioned with the company. And I decided to buy my first non-Mac and put Linux on it just to kind of see what it was like. And I used Linux Mint and it was wonderful, man. Aww. I loved Linux Mint. It was fantastic. It was just a really good experience. And I used that full time as my personal non-work machine daily driver for I think two, three years. Eventually, I kind of got sick of it because of update issues. Um, it seemed like everything always broke every time I updated it. And so then I went back to macOS. And then when I left Apple, I decided this is it. I'm going to like permanently make Linux my home. And then I started, that was in uh, late 2016. And then by early 2017, I'd found KDE, which was ultimately to be my permanent home. And, and here I am. Let me awesome. ask you about that. So you, you mentioned you're in the Apple ecosystem, you even worked for Apple, and then you kind of became disillusioned and you were looking for something else. What was it about Linux at the time that made you, was it more of a philosophy thing of, I like the free and open source philosophy, or was it a design or what you could do in it that made you kind of leave that Apple ecosystem and go into Linux? It was everything, actually. Um, I'd been an Apple fan since I was six years old when I got my, my first Apple computer. So the, the love affair lasted for a very long time. And the reason why I liked Apple so much was because of how user-friendly everything was for common basic tasks. Um, at that point, I had no inkling or understanding of the philosophy or politics behind software. It was all just ends, means to an end, you know, that sort of thing. Like if it's easy to use, I like it. And over the years, I, I ran into all kinds of issues from this that I would later come to understand were based on the use of proprietary software. Um, things like I would use an app, I would like a creative app, I would do stuff with it. And then later the app would get canceled by the company that made it. And then everything I made in it was just gone, lost forever, mm -hmm. you know, lost to the void, all sorts of stuff like that. Um, one other thing was an app that I used saved picture files in an old obsolete format. And then I forgot about it. And years later, when I wanted to move to Linux, I discovered, oops, this is was an old Apple proprietary thing. Nothing reads these files. So like uh. the, the idea of using open source software and common free open file formats was, was kindled in me over time with this. Um, and the sort of central top-down approach of, of Apple that I really appreciated in the past started to be something that I was personally chafing against a little bit. And I felt like I wanted to move towards something that was a little bit more open, a little bit more community-oriented, a little bit less centrally planned for any, for the lack of a better term. And that meshed very well with the, the philosophy of the free open source ecosystem. 
Awesome, Nate. So, you know, your Linux journey eventually led you to being a contributor to KDE. Tell us how you got started contributing and what keeps you motivated to keep contributing <laughs> to this wonderful project? Great questions. <laughs> so what originally brought me to KDE, uh, unfortunately, I have to say was dissatisfaction with GNOME. GNOME, I always mispronounce <laughs> it. Um, that was where I started in 2016. I, w I still kind of had a little bit of the Apple Stockholm syndrome. And so I tried to find the open source project that seemed the most Apple-like. I, I didn't even know that mm. elementary OS existed at the time. So I found GNOME um, and I found various bugs in it, decided that I wanted to start contributing and started contributing. And I kind of had a bit of a bad experience, to be honest. The experience that I had was that this was also a, a fairly centrally planned project with a very well-defined roadmap and deviations from that roadmap seemed like they were going to be trying to swim upstream. Um, and so I started looking farther afield and I found KDE and KDE is much more anarchic in nature. And I don't think I would have had the words to describe this at the time, but that's what I was looking for. I really was looking for something that was much more open, much more anarchic, much more community oriented, and a little bit less centrally planned. Um, not that I think that the other approach is bad or wrong. It just happened to be not what I was looking for personally. Mm. Uh, I can really see the advantage of a project that has, you know, a, a management team that determines what we're going to do and then sets milestones and guidelines and follows up and makes sure that everything is done in that schedule. That results in really high quality stuff. Um, but the KDE approach, which <laughs> definitely is not like this, let me tell you, uh, involves different trade-offs, right? Like mm. it means that there is less planning, but there's also, in my personal opinion and experience, a bit more openness to community influence. And there can be a better sync with what the users and members of the community seem to want. Um, and that's, that's what I was looking for. And that's what keeps me in KDE, really, is the sense that anybody can contribute, everybody's contributions are valued. If something, there really isn't this concept of like, sorry, we don't do that in KDE. Like, you pretty much do what you want. Um, and it leads to, like I keep saying, a more anarchic environment that seems a little bit less planned. Um, and that's true. But I think that's a valid approach. And I think it's actually a really good thing that we have both KDE and GNOME. We have like two open source projects that are like real, legit, actual open source projects. One is a bit more planned. One is a bit more anarchic. And I think it's good that we have both because it means that whichever approach you personally prefer, you can find a home in the open source world. Um, it just kind Absolutely. of tended to be random that I preferred the anarchic approach. So that's, that's why I stay with KDE. And I want to kind of lay the foundation first because there's so much to unravel in that plan. In your mind, let's start with what are KDE's biggest hurdles that still need to be overcome? Oh boy, there are quite a few. Um, before I get into that, let me just uh, clarify one thing real fast. It's not that we don't do any kind of planning in KDE. It's that it tends to be very community-oriented, right? It's consensus-based. Right. It's it's more like we all collectively decide what it is we want to do rather than somebody saying, here's what we're going to do, and you got to follow that plan or else you can't be a part of it. To get back to your question of what it is we need to focus on most, personally, I think we need to focus on stability and bug fixing right now. Mm -hmm. um, when I joined KDE a couple of years ago, it seemed to me like there were a lot of st 
strategic strengths that KDE had, but also a bunch of weaknesses. And I've been really trying to push on those weaknesses. Um, I think one of the weaknesses that we had in the past was the perception that our stuff was just really ugly. Uh, and I think our stuff is a lot prettier today than it was before. Absolutely. There was also the historical weakness of like bloated, high resource usage. And that's definitely gone down too. I can't take any credit for that. That's all other people. Um, but now KDE software and KDE Plasma are known as being very lightweight on low-end hardware. But the third historical strategic mm -hmm. weakness that we still have not addressed is that like our stuff is buggy as heck. And have to admit it, it's true. It really is. So that's what we need to work on, like stability mm. a lot. And that is what this 15-minute bug initiative that's on that roadmap is all about, is awesome. trying to make the user experience feel more stable and less buggy for normal basic workflows. Because I think most people are pretty tolerant of bugs and like weird esoteric workflows. But you want basic stuff to work, right? Like you copy a yeah. file from point A to point B. You don't want weird random errors. You don't want visual glitches when you just like plug in another monitor. Like this is basic stuff. This all has to work and it has to be bulletproof. And we're kind of not there yet and we need to be. And that's what the initiative is all about. Yeah. And speaking of that, do you, do you have any more to tell us uh, about the 15-minute bug initiative since we're talking about it? Uh, you've, you know, you've had extensive work history in, in QA from working at companies like Apple to Blue Systems. And, um, you know, has actually KDE considered doing a usability study? Yeah, um, usability studies have been considered in the past for various maybe silly reasons they haven't really been done. I think this, this is an important thing, but... In the end, our resources are, are limited that we kind of have to focus. So let's say we, we hire like an outside company to do a big usability study, right? We're going to get tons of actionable data, and this is really great. But what are we going to actually do with that data? We're going to need developers to implement that stuff. And yeah. for the most part, those same developers are going to be the people who are going to be working on the bug fixes for the 15-minute bug initiative. They're going to be people who are trying to make Wayland uh, the Wayland session work properly. They're going to be the people who are implementing new features that we need just to keep parity with other environments. So, you know, I think one of the things that we've got to do in KDE is get more resources. We mm. have a huge scope in KDE. Um, if you look at other projects, most of their scopes are intentionally much smaller. And I think that's in some ways a good idea. Uh, we kind of have a tendency to bite off more than we can chew in KDE a lot. We have gazillions of apps. We have so much software. Our software yeah. stack is incredibly deep. And this means that it's really featureful and you can kind of stay within the KDE e ecosystem for almost anything. Like I had a random need for a LaTeX app recently. Um, and KDE has one. It's really great, you know, and now I'm using it and I didn't even know that it existed. And it's got like, you know, hundred tens of thousands of lines of code and, so you can like do any, everything in KDE, but the, the corollary of this is that the more software you have and the deeper your software is, the more development resources you need to maintain that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we aren't at the level that we need right now to sustain the kind of um, software that we have. So I would love to do a big usability study, but I think we honestly just need more developers and development time 
to actually implement the results of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just really happy, though, that you're focusing on the bugs because there's just been so many little paper cuts that, you know, really need to be fixed. Yeah. And, yeah. I think Plasma has some paper cuts. Like, the 15-minute initiative is really interesting because it's a thing to, you know, what bugs do you see in 15 minutes? I like that as a a goal to kind of address because there are a few things that here and there that I've noticed. But there's also, like, so much great power and features in Plasma that you know if they can if, if if the first time you use it the first impressions wasn't you know the, seeing these kinds of paper cuts then there would be so many people who would love using plasma cuz I, I every time i've talked mm-hmm. to people who've you know used plasma or they you know recently switched completely over to plasma they always say something like once i realized how good it was then i started yep. using it every day and I think that's one of the one of the best things about the the roadmap that you announced of having this initiative is so exciting. But another thing that you announced in the roadmap is you mentioned multi monitor support. And mm-hmm. as someone who has spent a lot of time recently, especially recently, <laughs> configuring multiple monitors with, with have different resolutions, different orientations, I have a vertical monitor and a landscape monitor now. I would love to know some more about the, the targeted improvements that the team is looking to make for multi-monitors. So what kind of improvements are on the horizon for multiple monitors in Plasma? Yeah, so one of the most common issues that afflicts multi-monitor setups is... When you add or remove a screen, your whole desktop layout often gets moved around, uh, panels disappear, panels move between screens. Sometimes the desktop on one or more screens just vanishes. Um, This is really bad. So we're working on trying to figure out why that happens and and fix it. Uh, Some of the the causes of these issues are in um, the the Qt toolkit itself. Some are on our side. Some are like weird interactions with them. Um, but this kind of gets back to what I was saying before about like our software is so broad and we have so much power that it causes these kinds of issues because uh, in most other environments, for example, you have like one panel and your one panel like stays in one place and you plug in another screen and it's like you don't get a second panel or like maybe if you do your main one is duplicated there like that's really easy. In Plasma, you can have, like, every screen has its own quote-unquote containment, and each containment can have an any number of panels in them, and you can move panels from one screen and one containment to another, you can duplicate them, you can, you can delete them, and so, like, there's almost this kind of combinatorial explosion of the number of configurations that you can have, and that makes the problem inherently harder, because <laughs> you can have, like, like, there's a conceptual conflict, like, let's say you change your primary monitor, right? What that typically does is it like changes which screen your main panel is on. But you can also like manually move your main panel. So like which one wins? So we're kind of trying to sort out which one of those sources of user configuration wins on a conceptual level as well as fixing the bugs. Um, We've made a lot of progress so far. There's already some, some good stuff in Plasma 524 for this stuff. But we're just going to kind of keep going. And the goal is to make it so that when you add or remove a screen, your layout stays the same or at least stays the same as it was the last time you added or removed a screen. And hopefully Plasma won't crash and KWIN won't crash and your panels won't disappear. We've actually already fixed that one. Um, the like panels disappearing when you unplug a screen is something that was fixed mm-hmm. just uh, like a couple of days ago. So Yay. that's good. I know it's really bad. Oh. <laughs> and another one is desktops disappearing. So that one is going to happen too. Yeah. Um, 
Personally, I don't even use multi-monitor setups because of these bugs, but I'm probably going to try to force myself to in 2022 just so that I get more exposed to them and am more annoyed by them so that I can make more noise about it. <laughs> exactly. Because it turns out that's kind of one of the only things I can do. I'm not a skilled developer at all. I mean, I can do stuff, but it is not my my primary skill set. So all I can really do is poke people with pointy sticks to make stuff happen. Yes. <laughs> the pointiest stick. Yes. <laughs> yeah, mine's the pointiest. That's why it works. The uh, It's really interesting because of the, the, the multi-monitor support. I, I've always had multi-monitors, and I've always felt that Plasma had a really good multi-monitor. As soon, mm-hmm. Once you set it up and then, like, do it every time the same way. So I don't have those issues of the, you know, the screen going off and losing the desktop and things like that, because I always have this, all the monitors running at the same time. But uh, if you, if you do it in a, if like a different order, it does kind of do some kind of weird wonkiness, but I've, I've, I've gotten used to that. So I don't even think about that anymore. And it's interesting that you're talking about how, you know, using it to experience it, to kind of mention those issues. So I'm gonna have to revisit it because I did set up new monitors to, you know, experience the new approach to a, how a 4k experience would be on plasma. And I have to say, 4K on plasma is awesome. It's, like, yeah. it's, it's so I've good. Got a 4K screen it's myself and it's, it's quite good, especially yeah. on Wayland. Yeah. Uh, Wayland even more so. I think I was talking to you in the in the matrix room about uh, 4K support on different monitors. And it turns out Wayland has individualized resolution scaling yep. for each monitor, and uh, X does only has the single global scale. That's right. Yeah. But the single global scale still works for the most part. So I have tried both and it is nice, the Wayland version, but the, the one on X11 uh, does work pretty well. And the th- reason I wanted to bring this up is because the 4K thing is often missed in Linux desktop environments. I mean, there's the whole, you know, fractional scaling and people think about fractional scaling being, you know, some disk DEs have 1.25, 1.5, 1.75, and those are the only options that are fractional. Whereas in Plasma, I'm currently running at one, 137.5. And that is the ideal option for me. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, yeah Nate, I actually uh, game on triple monitor setup uh, wow. with a, a 4K in the center and two 1080s on the side. And I have to say that Plasma has always been really good at multi-monitor monitor support and playing games across three screens. Nice. It's always been good with that. And in fact, I appreciate that there's like, there's almost like some Zynorama uh, uh-huh. configuration built in to be able to do um, uh, gaming on three monitors easily. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. It's interesting to hear uh-huh. these uh, positive words about our multi-screen experience. And I, I think it just goes to show that the diversity of setups and hardware out there really determines yeah. how you experience the system. Um, because most of the bugs that I'm talking about are bugs that you will mostly experience if you have a laptop and you're regularly connecting and disconnecting screens. Oh. If you have a desktop yeah. and your screens are mostly just sitting there and they both get turned on and off at the same yeah, time, same. then like, yeah, everything works great. Um, and, and I think historically that's worked great because that's what a lot of developers tend to have. Um, the laptop case is, is, I think, a lot harder, not only technically, but on a conceptual level, because there is this question of like, let's say you have a bunch of windows on a secondary or even a tertiary display, and then you unplug your laptop, like what happens to those windows? Where do they go? Well, what happens to the panels that were on there? Like, what mm-hmm. if you have <laughs> a primary panel on your laptop screen, and you've also created like a custom secondary panel on your other screen, then that screen turns off. Does that, is that panel just like gone until the next time you turn the screen on? Well, well yes. But what if, what if you had like 
stuff that you were like, it, it's a, it's kind of a, a complicated question. Um, and we're working on, on digging into that particular thing because I think that's where the pain points lie. Uh, for the most part, using multiple monitors on a static desktop setup is pretty good. Uh, there's always some bugs that can be fixed. There's some AMD related ones, uh, in particular that are in the kernel. Those are not our fault, but the laptop case is something that we're really trying to, trying to work on in 2022. Nice. You mentioned earlier about Wayland. We were, we were talking about it in the multi-monitor setup. So let's talk about Wayland with the work NVIDIA has done with adding GBM support and KWIN already supporting GBM and Wayland. How, how likely is it that Wayland will replace X11 in 2022? It's a great question. I am not as knowledgeable about NVIDIA-specific stuff because I don't have any NVIDIA hardware. I would say it's probably quite likely that for most use cases, the Plasma Wayland session can fully replace the X11 session for most people in 2022. I can't guarantee that for NVIDIA people, but I hear that it's getting much better all the time Mm -hmm. with GBM support. And as you said, uh, KWIN already supports this. Stuff is improving all the time. I do hear from people that it's getting better. My sense is that for NVIDIA users, the Wayland session is kind of perpetually a year behind everybody else. But, you know, 2021 was pretty good for Wayland. So maybe 2022 will be pretty good for NVIDIA people. It's just kind of the nature of the beast, I'm afraid. But... There's a lot of really exciting stuff happening in the Plasma Wayland sphere uh, with regards to not only NVIDIA, but also other longstanding problems. We've got like interesting developments in the future on fractional scaling and scaling stuff in general. This has been kind of a, a longstanding issue mm-hmm. where like if you have X Wayland apps and the rest of your system is at 200%, X Wayland apps just get like blown up 2X and they're blurry and ugly. So that's stuff that we're going to be working on and looking at. Um, scaling in general is another area that we're going to be looking at. A thing that we did in 21 was to add this cross, I guess it's a Wayland spec, uh, this activation protocol that lets Windows get brought to the front when they're activated from another app. Uh, and support for that is continually rolling out into toolkits. That is currently in Qt 6 um, and GTK 4. And so the closer we get to Qt 6, the more likely we're going to be able to have that in all KDE apps. Um, other apps that don't use those toolkits are getting support for it too. So the more time goes on, the more this kind of stuff gets improved. So I think 2022 is going to be really, really, really good for Wayland. I'm actually in a Wayland session right now. I've got everything running from Git master as I al- always do. So I'm in like Git master, Kwin, Wayland, and it's really great. It's super cool. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Wayland, what, the, what it's being done. And like, cause there are a lot of people wondering like, what's the difference? And we could talk about that in more detail on a future episode. I think that'd be a good topic to discuss, but I'm excited for Wayland because of all the, just the, the nice polish that it offers in the comparison to X11. Like yeah. we talked about the the multi-monitor, different resolution uh, scaling, yeah. like there, and there's so much, you know, so much you can do in Wayland that's much smoother. And even a lot of people have found out that games run better in Wayland and a lot of the times. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And hopefully the NVIDIA stuff, you know, works out for everybody and uh 2022 yeah. is that is the year for the wayland but if it's next year i'm also okay with it as long as it is it's somewhat you know soon you know because it's it's things such are a- really moving along uh 2021 was the year for me when the plasma wayland session went from being an unusable dumpster fire to suitable for daily activities with 
no annoyances. So yeah. huge progress was made there. Absolutely Ops. huge. Absolutely. Yeah, and like really in 2020, quickly, I just couldn't use it. I mean, in 20 in 2020, I would use this and I would think, how is it 2020? And this is like still so bad. And then six months later, it's 95% perfect. It was kind of amazing. Yeah, I know. That, yeah, I know you yeah. had the same experience, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because I use both an, I, NVIDIA and AMD, mm-hmm. and it is so much better on NVIDIA. I mean, the WebRTC is starting to work well. and <laughs> It's know, better than it was it on NVIDIA, was, not yeah, necessarily still, better on NVIDIA. <laughs> still has issues, but... Uh, um, my sense is that there was so much stuff that was like 95% done, but it just needed a little bit of like push across the finish line, and then magically everything would work. Mm. And, and we reached that point. In 2021, I think. Well, there's there's something else that I'm I'm very excited about, and it's and hopefully we could look forward to some you know some big updates with 2022 for Plasma Mobile. So Plasma Mobile is really cool. It's essentially like I always looked at Plasma. You know, it's it's very responsive. You can make it. You know, you can resize the windows and the overall experience on whatever platform you want. But Plasma Mobile is taking that even farther and going into like the tablet and phone space. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's also a lot of potential integrations that you can do with the like, desktop and stuff like that. What's going on in the mobile space that has you excited, and what we can look forward to in 2022 with Plasma Mobile? Really great, great question. Um, I want to preface this upfront with the disclaimer that I don't follow Plasma Mobile all that much. There are only so many hours in the day and it's it's not a mm-hmm. major focus of mine. So you might want to have one of the Plasma Mobile people on and uh, ask them that question. But sure. uh, I know I a, a little bit. I, I know that there are shell improvements that are going on in Plasma itself. Um, there are continual improvements in Kirigami, our responsive app framework. And, and we get some of the benefits from that on Plasma Desktop too. Because you can take a Kirigami app and you can run it on Plasma Mobile and have it look different and be more mobile optimized. Um, I think we're probably going to see continued adoption of Plasma Mobile too. We've got the um, PinePhone Pro coming out, which has got um, Manjaro Arm on it, and that's running Plasma Mobile by default. Yay! Um, the JingPad product, which is a tablet that's out yes. there, that's a reskinned Plasma Mobile. So you know, so it's out there. It's it's got users, um, and I think. There seems to be a lot of market demand for this, and I think we're, we're just going to continue to see more adoption. And my hope is that more adoption leads to more contributions, um, especially from more companies. Uh, I, I think it would be really great if companies and distros that ship KDE stuff could work a little bit more upstream with us. There are already some distros that are really good about this. There's some OpenSUSE people who work very closely with us, which is great. There's some Manjaro people who are increasingly working closely with us, which is really great. I would like to see more from the companies and institutions that are shipping KDE software. I think it would be really great if they could have, they could devote like one developer and one QA person to work on KDE stuff. Even if it was just part time, I think that would be wonderful. You know, a really great way of giving back with resources in a, in a, in a way that's sorely needed. So my hope is that more adoption drives that, and I think more adoption is going to be the watchword for uh, Plasma Mobile in 2022. Very nice, Nate. We know Nate that um, you actually didn't start out contributing as a programmer to KDE. So what help does the KDE, KDE team need most right now, and how can people contribute? 
programming. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. To say. <laughs> <laughs> it's just what we need. There's a lot. There's always many ways to contribute. Um, KDE <laughs> is so vast. You know, design is good. Translation is good. Um, a non-development way to contribute, which is also sorely needed, is bug triaging. Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned, there's no uh, customer support in open source for the most part. So when users have a problem, you know, they go on a forum, but a lot of times they file a bug report. Uh, a lot of these bug reports are, they need a lot of work to become actionable. Let me, let me put it that way. And the people who do that work to make it actionable are bug triagers. And bug triaging <laughs> is like an awful thankless task. I'm, I'm really selling this right now, but it's like critically important. It's absolutely important work <laughs> that needs to be done because if bug triaging isn't done, then like developers can't use the bug tracker. They don't know what needs to be done. They don't know what needs to be prioritized. It's really difficult to follow up on regressions. It's really difficult to even know what the regressions are. So for this 15 minute bug initiative that I mentioned earlier, one of the ways that I'm tracking that is through a bug tracker. So there's like a special search query that you can run and it will return a bunch of bug reports for things that are impacting people. I couldn't do that if our bug tracker was in a really disorganized, messy state and it was full of stale stuff and things nobody had looked at for years. Like you, you couldn't use the tool for its intended purpose without bug triaging. So if there's anybody out there who's like, technical and detail oriented, but who does not have programming skills, bug triaging is a really excellent way to get involved. Um, You can just like spend a few minutes a day on it. You can look through the bugs. If there's stuff that like clearly doesn't have enough information, you can ask for more information. You can verify things yourself, mark them as confirmed. Simple stuff that really anybody can do. Um, Maybe you can put a, a link to our bug triaging resources page in uh in your chat transcript or something and i I can provide that absolutely that's that's a very important way to contribute (laughs) um but ultimately the reason why bug triaging is important is because it gives more time to developers to actually do the development work so they don't have to do bug triage themselves Mm -hmm. and in the end that's kind of what we need more of is we need more developers because you the people who fix bugs are people with programming skills and if every single bug in the software stack is perfectly identified with a bug report and all the statuses are tracked perfectly, then amount to a hill of beans if nobody can fix them. So it's yet another one of those things where the things have to work in sync, right? It's like the foundation and the rest of the house. The bug triaging is kind of the foundation, but it's not enough. You need for the rest of the house, which is development, to take place to actually make it matter. So we need some more synergy there and... Need more both. So I really encourage people to contribute uh, in those particular ways, bug triaging and development. They're super impactful, super important. Um, everybody involved in these things is really friendly. So you're not going to get people like getting mad at you and yelling at you for trying to contribute. We're, we're so desperately in need of these kinds of contributions that we will be very nice to you. Well, you said you weren't selling it very well, but I think that's uh, I think that's not accurate. You sold it pretty good. I think that like and also the bug triaging is so important that I think that's really good that you mentioned that because it's not often talked about because people like report bugs and then do programming, but that yep. middle piece is also very important. You know, so when we tell people to report bugs, something has to be done with those bug reports, right? Otherwise, oh, people say, "Oh, kitty's bug tracker's terrible. They just ignore everything. It's a black <laughs> hole," and like. Yeah, we don't want that reputation. Agreed. So, uh, Nate, you're going to be the first guest of ours on the show where we're going to have some fun and do a lightning round. 
Okay. So just answer the questions as fast as you can. Uh, okay. So uh, also to let you know that Ryan would be participating in this uh, lightning round usually. Oh uh, well, okay, we haven't. This is the first time, so well. I don't know if he would typically do so, but he's having some microphone issues. So uh, Jill and I will be the ones asking mm-hmm. the questions. Uh, but he did put in his own questions, so we'll okay. get to those too. Uh, so first of all, what is your favorite IDE? I don't use an IDE. I use Kate and Console, so I guess that'll have to suffice. Woohoo! Nice. Top three distros of 2022. Well, I can tell you which one that I use right now, which is Fedora 35 KDE Edition. I think it's really great. Um, uh, I can't give mm-hmm. two other ones because Fedora 35 is the only one that I really like right now. So that's, <laughs> I'll give you one. My top <laughs> distro for 2022 is Fedora KDE. That's a good one. There's actually a great, uh, just to, be, to, to let Ryan know, in his uh, lightning round things, he said, fill in the blank, by the way, I use, and he wanted you to say Arch, but it was Fedora, so that's <laughs> even better. so so the next questions are going to be not necessarily related to the technical side of stuff Uh, dc or marvel (laughs) i actually don't even know i don't pay any attention to comic books sorry none of the above i agree with you marvel's good yep (laughs) so nate you're like you're like me you like the the classics and vintage but what is your favorite video game oh man favorite video game um I don't get to play a lot of video games anymore, but I really enjoy Endless Sky, which is an open source. It's an open source oh, game yeah. that's kind of a spiritual successor to the old Escape Velocity games. From yes, the 90s. yes. I don't know if you're familiar with so those. True. I am. Endless yeah. Sky is really great. It's open source. <laughs> I actually started my contributions to open source with Endless Sky before oh, I did wonderful. anything with KDE. Oh wow! I, like my first pull request. For any open source software was for Endless Sky. It's all non-technical too. I like made new pirate ship names and stuff. Um, but that was like my gateway drug. So I like Endless Sky a lot. Cool. So uh, let's keep it on the, the favorite genre of stuff. Like what is your favorite genre of music? I really like prog metal. That's sort of my favorite. Nice. Second favorite would probably be um, folk music, especially Americana, like bluegrass. Nice. That is an interesting combination metal. of this to go from one to the other. You know, that's really interesting. Yeah. I uh-huh. like it. I like it. I do a similar See, thing with prog metal kind of thing with EDM. Cool. And I like, uh, you know, progressive uh, metal too and symphonic metal. Mm-hmm. That's, nice. mm-hmm. that's really cool too. So Nate, the big question of the universe, single click or double click default? Right. <laughs> Personally, for me, I like single click. As a default, I, I favor double click. <laughs> that 100% agreed on that one. Well, okay. Yes. <laughs> I, I like both equally, but the, the default, I do think the double click, but I think single click has a lot of benefits too. It does have a lot of benefits. I didn't used to like it. I kind of got used to it and now I understand why it's there, but mm-hmm. I think it has to be double click just because it's what everybody else does. We can't yeah. be that different. It's just like, even if it's better, it doesn't matter that it's better because it'll annoy people so that they won't notice the betterness. Yep. I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jill said this is like the, the most universal question. I don't know. I'm I, no, Maybe the next one might be a little more universal question. Star Trek versus Star Wars. <laughs> I like both, but with caveats. Yay. I Yay. like the original Star Wars trilogy. Um, and I like yes. all of the Star Trek shows before the year 2000. So, like, for both, classic. Yes, I like both e- equally. For modern stuff, neither. They're all terrible. 
I'm gonna, I, yeah, I'm gonna have to go. With, yeah. I'm gonna agree Not with a that. Big fan of the I, modern yeah. Star Wars. I do Trek. think that Enterprise is like one of those unsung heroes. So it's it's good in like certain parts of the show. Uh, Enterprise isn't terrible. I'd watch Enterprise over like Discovery or Picard. Hundred percent for sure. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Enterprise is just killing Ryan. This is so killing. And you gave a a great answer because the truth Uh, is, Star Wars wouldn't exist without Star Trek. George Lucas was inspired by Star Trek. Very true. (laughs) It it was great answer, but also I wanted to say just reason why Ryan can't speak for this particular one, which makes me laugh. Because he's a, he's Poor a big Ryan. fan of Star Trek, would like to talk. I assume he would. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh. We are all Trekkies. Oh, of course. Yeah, you got to be a Trekkie. Those are my Tribbles so, over there. <laughs> exactly. So I, I don't have them, but my house is actually full of Tribbles. Um, oh, good. good. My son is obsessed with Tribbles. And like Tribbles help trouble with the pandemic yes. with his mental health intact. And they multiply. They do. So every every like Christmas and birthday, we've been getting more tribbles. So our tri- our house has like hundreds of tribbles in it right now. Ooh, I can share something important. If you want your house to be full of tribbles on the cheap, the way that you do it is buy bulk packs of hat pom poms. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the actual yeah. like merchandise things, it's like twenty bucks a tribble. This is absurd. But hat pom poms are like twenty bucks for twenty hat pom poms, and they're basically tribbles. So nice. much of a like bang it. for your buck there. Star Trek pro tip. <laughs> I like yes, it. Absolutely. Uh, so great job on the lightning round, Nate. Uh, Thank and if you. you and if for anybody who's listening, if you think this segment was too short and you want more from Nate, then go check out his blog his blog at uh, pointiestick.com where you can get insider's look at KDE development. And Nate, thank you so much for your contributions to KDE and open source. And also thanks again for joining us today. We hope to have you back on the show real soon. You're welcome. Thanks so much for inviting me. It was a lot of fun. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is an awesome password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, it provides you different tools to be able to do this with a secured vault to store your passwords, auto-generator to create the passwords, and even automatically fill in the passwords on login forms so you don't have to do any of this stuff. Plus, it has access of different types of devices like a web browser, mobile apps, desktop application, and even on the command line. And Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your devices, so you know you're the only person with access to your data, which is super important and one of the main reasons why I'm a big fan of Bitwarden, especially also when it's open source, which is another fantastic reason. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started, and you can check out their premium account, which is less than a dollar per month. That's right, less than a dollar per month gets you extra features like one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, uh, vault health reports, a two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Bitwarden Authenticator, Bitwarden Send, Priority Customer Service, so much more great stuff for less than a dollar per month. So check it out at bitwarden.com slash DLN and make the smart moves like many community have and get your account at Bitwarden. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring Destination Linux. So in the news this week, our friends at Pine64 have unveiled some exciting news. So the Pine Phone Pro, we talked about this in the previous episode. We actually had an interview with Lucas from Pine64. If you want to learn more about it, check out the interview. Exclusive interview. Exactly. We'll have that linked in the show notes. But it's now available for pre-order with the Pine Phone Pro Explorer Edition. Now, we expect this device will be sold out pretty quickly. So if you're planning to get one, there's, you know, no time like right now. 
<laughs> the device is uh, 399 It's the flagship Pine64 device, and it's running uh, Manjaro Arm with Plasma Mobile, uh, which is, you know, and very. Uh, we talked about Plasma Mobile earlier in the show. Uh, I'm very excited to check this out. So the, the PinePhone Pro is powered by a, you know, actually it's really cool because this is the same rock chip uh, uh, system on a chip uh, system that is powering the the PinePhone or the PineBook Pro. So that means there's a lot of work already being done on that compatibility, which means it's going to be a, a lot smoother in certain ways to get the PinePhone Pro up and running. But this, this is still, and they're calling it the Explorer edition for a reason. It's the first version of it. It's like the Braveheart from the original PinePhone. It's mostly for developers or enthusiasts and that kind of thing. So, you know, it's a really early stages thing. But I'm super excited about the PinePhone Pro. You get a Rockchip hexacore sock at 1.5 gigahertz. You're getting the 4 gigabytes of RAM, which is a mm-hmm. huge upgrade uh, from the prior device. You get the 128 gigabytes of internal EMMC flash storage and has a high-fidelity 13-megapixel main camera sensor mm-hmm. and a 5-megapixel front-facing camera. So for those who like to use their camera for taking pictures, you've got some pretty nice cameras in there. And if you listen to Hardware Addicts, of course, you'll know megapixels isn't everything. So if you're like looking at your phone and go, oh, it's 40 megapixels, the one I have, that doesn't necessarily mean it's actually a good camera. Uh, These are very, very nice cameras in here. But I think the most important thing is uh, on my channel, you may have noticed the Dos Geek channel, I'm talking a lot more about privacy. And so I pick up on anything that's privacy or security related here. And one of the things that really stuck out to me on this particular device is the fact that the phone comes with your hardware privacy dip switches. This includes dip switches to turn off the camera, the microphone, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, headphone jack, enabling UART and the LTE modem, including GPS. All under the back cover, you can go flip those off. This has been, I did some videos on DuckDuckGo's app tracking platform. I knew Android was bad. In fact, if you'll, Michael, you could back me up here. I'm one of the few in the community that have actually been telling Linux people to stay away from Android for yes. quite a while. And you also and, got a lot of flack mm-hmm. for that because you I gotta, basically yeah. say like, you know, Android is not the best and you know, people were talking about like, oh, how could you use an iPhone? I was like, well, because Android's tracking is awful. Yeah, and I'm not saying iPhones <laughs> yeah. are great. We need a better alternative. It's just sure. Android's that bad. And using the DuckDuckGo, I'm in their beta. They sent me a beta key to allow me to tr- to use their app tracking tool. And what this does is essentially creates like a VPN barrier between all of the apps on your phone and being able to send your traffic and track you from your GPS and everything out here. I knew it was bad. When I put this app on my phone, I my, my jaw hit the floor. We're talking in some cases apps trying to send location information 5,000 times in 24 hours. We're talking about mm-hmm. apps that have just plethora of financial apps and things that you wouldn't expect. You're like, this is my bank. Certainly they're not trying to track all of my uses across other apps and things that I'm doing on my phone and trying to take screenshots and all that stuff. No, they are. And and it's just, it's so bad. And when DuckDuckGo finally releases this out to everybody, everything I've been saying for years is really going to finally be, people are going to go, their eyes are going to open and go, oh my gosh, I didn't realize how much of a disaster Google Android is. Um, But you're about to find out. 
And so when I see stuff like this, it becomes even more important if you're if you have to utilize your phone for anything Android related, uh, where you have privacy switches and things like that on there. Now, obviously, this phone doesn't come with that operating system, but I believe you can install Android and things on there if you wanted to, um, or some open source version of it. Uh, but the point is that I like the idea that I can physically turn these things off and make sure apps don't access them without my knowledge. Well, absolutely, Ryan. Uh, that's one of the most exciting features is to have have a third party with security. <laughs> <laughs> yep, absolutely. And, you know, this is all very exciting, but this phone isn't for everyone. And Pine actually makes that, Pine64 makes that very clear in their documentation. In fact, they state, contemporary mobile Linux operating systems have a way to go before they can be considered true alternatives to Android or iOS. While mo mobile Linux isn't in a state that could satisfy most mainstream electronics consumers, we recognize that a sizable portion of our community is ready to make the jump to a Linux-only smartphone today. Yes, we are. <laughs> the PinePhone Pro has the raw horsepower to be your daily driver. Granted, you're ready to accept the current software limitations. So if you can live within those limitations, you know, go grab one for yourself. And to me, you know, when this software gets so much more refined, this is going to be a Linux phone you can share with family and friends. Absolutely. And it's, yep. it's just, it's, it's an amazing, going to be an amazing phone. And I think it's going to take off in the community. And, you know, in our, our interview we had done with Wukash, he also had told us that the PinePhone Pro is two millimeters thicker than the Pine Phone. And this is because Pine64 actually cares more about the community being able to open it up and tinker with it and replace parts as opposed to how it looks in compactness. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's it's <laughs> yeah. amazing how this idea of thinner is yeah. you know, still, still out there. I'll give you an example. I got the new Google Pixel phone that they just released. And it's it's very thin, but it has this giant camera notch anyway. So are you, yeah. it's got that big rectangular bar that goes yes. across the entire phone. And so is it really that thin? No. But the yeah. worst part is the phone's made of complete glass all the way around. And it's so slick that if you put it on a couch cushion or anything, it just slides. <laughs> Everywhere you put it, the thing slides and falls off. So the idea of like using glass on a phone that we know we drop these things is weird to me. Yeah. The idea that we always constantly have to get thinner and thinner and thinner as if that's the big drive that everyone's looking for is mm -hmm. to have like a, a credit card Thin, thinness of a phone, which I don't know any consumer that really gives a crap about that. Uh, yeah, they're looking at they the put things it in a case that anyway. Matter. Who cares? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The first thing they would sell you cases now, so you could buy the phone and then buy the case from the manufacturer yep. because they know their own phone will break if you ever drop the thing. It's yeah. like it's so <laughs> ludicrous. The entire market is crazy. Yeah. It's such a shame because you have like this phone. It looks like this this piece of uh, like magic in your hand, and then you put it in a case, and it's like. Eh, it lost that. Yeah. yeah, but there's it's it's interesting because like the Pine sixty four, uh, talking about it's a little bit thicker, but it it's a little bit thicker to in, to make sure that it doesn't like overheat and that sort of thing because it is putting more mm -hmm. powerful stuff in the same device or the same casing kind of thing. So it's it needs to be a little bit more thicker. But what's awesome is that they are making it compatible with all the add ons and stuff like that that were Yay. made for the regular Pine phone. So if you yeah. get the uh, keyboard add on, it will still work with the Pine phone Pro, which is awesome, especially. 
since the the keyboard is not just a keyboard, it's a it's like a keyboard slash dock. So when you put it in the the keyboard add-on and you charge the add-on, it will also charge the phone at the same time. So you don't need a bunch of different cables connected to the you know That's to both cool. of them. So it's really nice, and I think. I, I am so excited about the PinePhone Pro. And again, we need to make it clear, this is not mm-hmm. for everyday users right now. As they talked about the limitations, the, there's limitations with the software that will be fixed at some point, but right now it's not for everyone. So if you're an enthusiast or a developer, then that Wait, might be something. we ordered one. What, which category do we fall under? <laughs> I made Michael AI, so yeah. I feel like developer. Yeah. Okay, so you're Michael a developer, AI. I guess, and I'm the, de- I'm yeah. the enthusiast. So yeah, I yeah, guess we yeah, fit yeah. both sides, so okay. that's why. Awesome. We got one, yeah, for sure. We ordered one, yeah. yeah. So we're we're gonna be having uh we're gonna have the the Pine Foam Pro, and we're gonna be talking about it on a future episode when we, when it comes in, and maybe even do like a live stream unboxing or something. We'll see. But I yeah. I'm I'm very excited cool. to get my hands on one of these. You know what? I'm also excited to get my hands on that's some games. So Jill, what are we Woo-hoo. talking about in the games this week? Yeah. So in honor of having uh, Nate Graham on the show, this week we're going to cover KDE Games. Nice. Yay! Nice. <laughs> so KDE Games, for those of you that don't know, is an open source suite of games, not just a single game, that you can install. And if you're not using KDE, don't worry. You can still install them from your distro's repository or via Flatpak. Right. And via Flatpak makes it a lot easier to get them and stuff. But I also want to say, if you're not using KDE, mm-hmm. uh, don't worry. You can switch to KDE because oh, it's awesome. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so the genre of games include arcade, board, card, dice, logic, strategy, and toy. And gosh, there's so many great games in the suite. And we're going to list some of the great games that caught our attention. Uh, One of my favorites is K Breakout. (laughs) Mm. It it is a game that looks oddly similar to Breakout. Oddly similar, yes. (laughs) Yeah, oddly similar. You'd be shocked. There's a lot of oddly similar (laughs) games in the suite. (laughs) Yeah, this K Mahjong looks uh, a a lot like Mahjong game. It's really interesting. (laughs) so strange. (laughs) Well, I enjoyed playing the original Breakout in arcades and on my Atari 2600 in the 1970s and early 1980s. So I was always happy they had K Breakout. In fact... Years ago on KDE, I was uh, put, sunk a lot of hours into K Breakout. <laughs> yeah, I liked Catman, not to be confused with Pac-Man. They're completely yes. different. Completely different. But Catman yeah. is oddly similar to Pac-Man. <laughs> yes, I think um, Pac-Man is oddly really similar to Catman. You know, that's that's yeah, it's, it's just true. We, yeah, it's, we could just switch it. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but this is a cool game, a fun game to play if you've never played Pac-Man. Catman with your kids or anything like that. It's a good introduction to it. So fun. <laughs> and all these are free and open source too. And if yeah. you're a big golfer, you could check out Colf. Colf. Did they have to Yay. name everything with the K, Michael? Can we not yeah. everything. talk to Nate about not that? Everything no, is. Not everything is named with a K. I mean, some there we... are many that are named with a K, but <sighs> not all of them. Uh, there are some some of them have some clever names, uh, but there's there are some like Catman is basically Pac-Man, but they they swap the C and they flip it, so it's Anyway, so yeah. uh, <laughs> they also have K Gold Runner, which is like a maze game that you kind yeah. of you figure it's a That's puzzle a game one. as well. And I played that. Uh, you know, we we taught we discussed doing this, and we did. Me and Jill did a run through of a bunch of different games from the suite, and I played the K Gold Runner, and I gotta say, 
It's uh, pretty hard, actually. Uh, yeah, it, it, is. it was kind of really difficult. Hard. Real quick, huh, yeah. Michael? That's weird, Michael, because it says for age or ages four and younger. So that's weird <laughs> that you struggle that is, so d- hard. That game does not it. say that. Absolutely oh. does not. <laughs> Uh, but there are games that do say that that are made specifically for it. Like, uh, I'm not sure if it's supposed to be said this way, but I always called it G Compris, Compri, yeah, Something like G Compri. Okay, Compri. Yeah. So this is like a, an educational game for uh, teaching kids math and various different types of, um, you know, st- just basically it's like a puzzle game combined with an educational tool. Did it work? Yeah. Oh, I learned uh, so much stuff about math. Okay. Yes. All right. Good. I even oh, learned yeah. arithmetic too. Ooh. Yeah, GK yeah. <laughs> Compre is an excellent software uh, suite, you know, geared towards kids teaching everything from vocabulary to math, but in a really, really fun way with lots of good animation. Nice. And yeah, it, it, it's wonderful. A lot of the schools use it. <laughs> yeah, cool. these are these are some fun games. But keep in mind, these games are like the G Compre is more for educational purposes. But the other games are kind of just more like you know one-off fun things that you can play whenever if you have a few minutes to spare. They also have like solitaire type of things and thing and like various different types of games. It's not like these you know it's not like these triple A games you'd get on Steam or whatever. Right. But yeah. they are very fun to play. And, you know, depending on what you what kind of games you like and that sort of stuff. So if you want to check <laughs> it out. And they're open source, just and, like our software spotlight. Oh, is. nice! So, if you're a news junkie, do, are you a news junkie, Jill? Do you follow the news headlines and chase <laughs> yes, through? Yes, I do. Actually, I'm a little <laughs> bit of a news junkie with uh, this week in Linux news show, or more of a good news junkie. Like a news junkie. <laughs> ah, very nice. Well, if you're a news junkie, then you want to check out Ticker. T i c k r. Uh, This tool allows you to get the latest news on your desktop with a scrolling thin window that's very similar to see what what you see on like a news TV channel. You know how they have that bottom bar that kind of goes across and tells you all the headlines? Well, this works the same way. You can import your RSS feeds using an existing OPML file, or you can select news items from the feed reader that it integrates with. So you can choose things like BBC or whatever that you want, and it will put that little scroll line. And you have options to customize that as well. You can put on the top or bottom you could choose whether you want windows to cover it or if you want it to go over on top of windows uh, i could see a lot of people maybe following stock market and things like that maybe want would want to put a ticker on a second monitor for instance to see things they're going with either way i think it was a cool little tool i had fun playing with it at one point i had too many rss feeds going so they were like overlaying on top of yes. each other and stuff so you got to be careful with how much you're trying to feed through it but it's just kind of a fun little tool to play with out there yeah yeah and i thought of several uses for ticker one is you could make the font huge and use it as a ticker tape on a raspberry pi used for digital signage nice very good and or ryan can use it to annoy michael with a custom rss or text file when something needs to be done at destination linux network i love it (laughs) i have direct control over a little bar on your screen michael to tell you to do stuff okay (laughs) that sounds like it actually might be productive and help me in some ways for just like a reminder thing and also no no let's not do that uh, but it's funny because uh, when Ryan mentioned this, I thought, yeah, this is a, c- a cool idea. You know, it's it's good for people who are looking at wanting to get some news. But uh, he says, like, what, would you try it? Like, well, I can't because I have like 150 feeds. And yeah. you, as you see, when they start overlapping, it becomes a big mess. But right. 
Uh, if you are interested in news, I think it's worth checking out. And also something I think that is definitely going to be interesting to people who uh, were you know, curious about, we talked about Waylon and, and stuff like that in the show with the interview with Nate. And I think that if you, if you, you might be using Waylon and not even know it, <laughs> it's quite yeah. possible depending on your distribution. So our tip this week is how to check if you're using Wayland or X11. Now, certain distros default to Wayland, and so you may not notice it, and you actually have, have a great experience and have no idea that you're even using it. And this is why you can now tell with this running this command. We'll have the command in the, sh- the show notes to be for specific, but it's xdg session type. And that's all you got to do is run this with an echo command, and we'll have it the full details in there. But you can just run into any terminal application and get the information, whether you're using X11 or Wayland. So for our announcements this week, I want to talk about a couple changes going on with some of the shows that we adore here. Now, Deal and Extend has gotten so big. The original idea behind Deal and Extend was that it was kind of be a continuation of some of the things we talk about on this show. Mm-hmm. But then Wendy, Nate, and Matt turned that show into its whole own following. It's grown bigger than we ever expected, and we felt like it needed a new name to be its own entity mm-hmm. out there. Still part of the network, but its own entity. So they're renaming Deal and Extend to Linux Out Loud. And yes, that is LOL as its acronym <laughs> I kind of love. But they're also giving away, they, they wanted to do something with the community because it is a community show uh, where the community creates the logo out there for it. So they're doing a competition for a $100 gift card um, and you can help make history with their rebranding if you have any artistic skills and send them those uh, suggestions or samples that you have for what the Linux Out Loud logo should look like and you may be a winner of of that $100 gift card there. But more importantly, it's just a fun way to kind of get be a part of that show if Absolutely. you're a listener there. And also for, for how to, the details about how to do that, and the next thing Ryan's going to talk about, uh, there are going to be links in the show notes for the forum threads related to those. Absolutely. And speaking of that, we also added Linux Saloon to the DL Woo-hoo! family. What is Linux Saloon? Well, if you've <laughs> ever heard of the show that happens every single Saturday, it used to be called uh, Biddle, and it was you know, run by the community. Nate took that show over from DLN Extend and has been running that, and we have pulled it into the Destination Linux family here. So now we can have a show every Saturday that is a virtual lug for the Destination Linux family and community. And yesterday, myself, Michael, and Jill showed up. They had an awesome so conversation. Much. They usually pick mm-hmm. a distro that they're going to talk about that week as one part of it. Then they have an open discussion where they can talk about anything geek and Linux related. So you get to learn a lot because there's developers on there. There's your casual users on there. It's a mm-hmm. really nice mix and everyone's invited. You just get the link. You could jump in there, have a conversation, family friendly, of course, uh, every each and every Saturday. So we're going to be naming that Linux Saloon, which is awesome. I saw a lot of people mm-hmm. awesome. there with some um, saloon-like drinks and things in celebration of the name yesterday, which yep. was fun. Um, I love the saloon name. Yeah. It was just kind of just something to have fun with. Like, this is a virtual lug. It's also just to hang out and have fun. And it's not supposed to be like, a, you know, any super serious thing. So it just it just fits so perfectly. And also, Nate came up with like great uh, yes, you know, slogans absolutely. and stuff. So I, I came up with where Linux is always on tap. On tap. And then Nate like, uh, kind of <laughs> Kind of one up to me, and he said, uh, and the way he ends the show is now, um, don't forget to tip your developers and always Linux responsibly. 
Yes. Nice. <laughs> I love that, Nate. We all love that. I love it. So good. Yep. He has so a cool good. intro, too, that keeps yelling yeah. at him if technical issues are happening, which is really funny. <laughs> Nate's done an amazing job with the show, and they're also doing a logo competition, too. So you could have a lot of fun with Linux Saloon and Linux Out Loud. Get creative. Send in your submissions. All of this is on our discourse forum uh, for instructions on how to submit. Uh, but definitely consider if you have some artistic skill getting in there and being part of history. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. However you do it, we love your faces. We're here every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern live at DLNlive.com. And the best part is everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week. But of course, we also have our glorious patrons, which gets perks like unedited versions of the show. And they get to hang out with us in the patron post show, which they're doing right now. They're hanging out with Nate Graham. How cool is that? They get to ask him all kinds of questions and things afterwards plus we go in there afterwards to hang out in our 60,000 square foot virtual stadium which pretty much since it's virtual you could just imagine whatever you want vending machines that give you steak lay mignon <laughs> they're there just imagine it in your head it's absolutely amazing what we've done it's it's amazing what we've done there's so much great stuff that you you imagine that we've totally done because you imagined it absolutely also you can imagine another great thing by going to dealinstore.com actually you don't have to imagine it it's already a thing. There's a lot of great stuff there. There's t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, Yay! stickers. Uh, there's a new travel <laughs> mug with the 33% more Jill. And you'll notice Yay! that actually exists now, <laughs> unlike the previous store. So if, yeah. for those who are curious, we, ha we had some issues with some... Our previous vendor wasn't letting the, that... We fired them. We got rid of them. Exactly. <laughs> so now go to dealinstore.com and you can get access to all sorts of stuff, even that awesome travel mug that Jill has in her hand. Yay. Uh, so much cool that. stuff. 33% more, Jill. Does your husband <laughs> love that cup too? Yes, he loves it. And <laughs> and my t-shirt is supposed to be here anytime. Uh, this actually came before my, my shirt, even though I ordered them at the same time. That Look happens. That. <laughs> what a store. What a store. It sends you as soon as it's ready. I love it. Oh, yeah. Awesome. And I I love their, their mouse pads and they have a big mouse mat. Oh, yeah, the desk mat. I'm so excited to get the giant desk mat because, you know, yeah. mouse pads are nice, but I like having a giant mouse pad, which are also called desk mat. I didn't even know that until the store said that's what they're called. Okay, cool. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, always called, I always called them giant mouse pads, so now I know they're desk well, I mats. I spent way too much money at the store the other day. You'd think being partial owner of the company, I'd get a discount, but I don't. Uh, so I just spent... <laughs> A whole bunch of money. I've got all kinds of stuff coming. Of course, I had to have the Jill stuff, so I've got some Jill stuff coming. <laughs> so make sure to check out all the amazing shows here on the Destination Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, This Week in Linux, the Awesome DOS Geek Channel, DLN Extend, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and get your Fedora hat on with the Fedora Podcasts. So everyone head to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these great shows. And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source and keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. <laughs> Everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. But not as important as having an extra XLR cable. Yeah. That's also important. For those who haven't noticed, he's changed yeah. mics. 
But he started the third time. It's interesting because you had noticed that, that his mic his time. microphone is not as good in the beginning. Then it gets good and then it gets bad. How did that yeah. happen? Well, you won't really know for sure until you watch the live stream. If it happens again, who, who never knows. Uh, but you could watch the unedited version by becoming a patron and finding out the full experience. What happened exactly with his microphone? Yeah. It's, yeah. No spoilers. Next, next you week, I'm going to have like eight XLR cables hanging across the wall. <laughs> yeah. Of course, decorate his room. Then XLR something cables. else will break that I don't have double of. So, you know, I don't know. I need, I need to send Ryan some pink ones. Absolutely. I, I don't care. I would sport a pink one. I, I would put one that was flowers and daisies that sparkled out of it at this point if it would work. I don't care. I just want an XLR cable that functions, you know? 